Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. On this show, I have talked at length about the importance of eating enough protein. But sometimes eating protein throughout the day can be a challenge. However, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts and is the perfect addition to your day. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, over 10% of your daily value. It's one of the highest protein nuts out there. But that's not all. Pistachios are also known for their fiber and better for you unsaturated fats, which we all need in our diet. Wonderful pistachios come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on your summer adventures. So whether you're dropping off the kids or running between meetings, fuel up with a healthy and tasty snack. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. Welcome to today's episode of Balanced Black Girl. My name is Les. I am your host. And whether you are a new or returning listener or whether you are new to joining us on YouTube, I appreciate you being here. So in this episode, I'm joined by Keely Miracle. Keely is a double board certified clinical hypnotherapist, master neurolinguistic programming practitioner, and the creator of the Neurointuitive Method. We talk about our ability to rewire and reprogram our brains to help us heal. We also talk about the difference between our conscious and subconscious mind, and that really gets into the difference between doing better and knowing better. We also talk about tools and practices for taking care of our brains and the power of hypnotherapy. This is one of those tactical, informative episodes, my favorite kind, and it will help you tailor your self-care practices to love on your brain. So let's get into Keely. Keely, welcome to Balance Black Girl. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. An honor to be here. So excited to have you. You are the perfect <laughs> guest to join us for Mindset May. All month, we've been talking about adjusting our mindset and really focusing on brain health because something that I've noticed in being a part of the wellness space is we talk a lot about the physical and even emotional aspects mm-hmm. of wellness. But we don't actually mm-hmm. talk about the vital part of our body that actually makes it happen, which is our brains and how we should actually take care of our brain. And I know that you are mm-hmm. so well-versed in these complex, complex organs that we have. So I'm excited to chat with you about it. <laughs> well, I'm here. I'm at your disposal. <laughs> 
So a central theme that we've been kind of exploring this month is not only understanding how our brains work, but understanding how our brains can change, which is mm-hmm. information that has been fairly new to me and that a lot of other people probably can relate to as well. You know, we hear, okay, your frontal lobe develops at 25. And that to me makes me think, okay, the brain that I get at 25 is just going to be my brain forever. That is just what it is. I think how I think, I move how I move, and that is just it. But that's not the whole truth, is it? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? No, no, it's not. So you can actually, there's this concept called neuroplasticity, but basically what it means is that you can continue to shape and mold your brain throughout your life. So you're never too old to start something. You're never too young to start shaping your mind the way you want it. And your capacity to do these things it's it's so evident. Like every day we make new memories, every day we get to do new things, every day we learn and hopefully you learn a new skill frequently, but we have this capacity to continuously change our minds, change our brains. There are ways to stimulate specific parts of your brain to encourage them to do certain things. So I meet a lot of people when you're talking about um, wellness in terms of the body sense, people will come to me and be like, I want to establish this habit and I can't. So it's like, okay, what's the source of resistance? Because I know you can do it. Yep. <laughs> I know you can do it. So I think it's important for each of us to know, like, the clock doesn't actually yeah. run out. And we keep learning for as long as we're alive. Yeah, I think that's really encouraging, especially depending on your age. Like, I'm in my early 30s, and I feel like there's this idea around your 30s that if you haven't done something by the time you're 30, or you haven't achieved something or had a habit had your fun or done this or done that, you're like never going to do it. Mm -hmm. And learning that that's not the case is so encouraging. And I think just gives us permission to like take a deep breath (laughs) and not need to cram in all of these things by a certain age. (laughs) Yes, unclench. I mean, I definitely have like such a wide age range of clients that it actually surprised me. Like when I first, you know, really started practicing on my own, I would meet people who were, you know, three times my age and they were coming to me and I was like, okay, that's super encouraging, like you say, but it also is just, it's a potent sort of reminder that we get to choose how we live for, again, the rest of our lives. And there is no, again, cutoff. When you're 30, you're just 30. That's all that is, is your relationship yeah. to time. Like, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything about your maturity level necessarily, because you don't have to internalize all the lessons along the way. That's not required. <laughs> you can survive to 30 and not necessarily learn all of the lessons that might be suggestive of your age. You can learn, you can have different experiences earlier than then, you can have experiences after, but it's really all about relating to yourself. And that's a timeless thing. That's a skill that you can have. And piggybacking off of what you just said, I would imagine that our lived experiences play a pretty big role in neuroplasticity, how our brains kind of function, how we use the information around us. Can we talk a little bit more about how our experiences shape our thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. So I like to tell people that your you're really smart, but your brain is kind of stupid. It can be. <laughs> so your brain will make sense of whatever's put in front of it. So it doesn't have to have the whole picture, but it will make sense of what's in front of it. So 
when you are experiencing things, your brain is telling you a story, right? And then that filters down and it becomes a subconscious learning because that's just your experience. It's not to be devalued either. Like you may go into a situation and come away with an impression that's not actually helpful to you, but there's something in there that's helpful to you. It's just a matter of being able to reframe it and to look at it differently. And your experiences are such a part of who you are, but they're not all of what you are. So people can get scared or feel super limited because they've experienced trauma or because they've just experienced things where life didn't go the way they planned or the way they wanted it to. And that says nothing about the way your life continues. And it says nothing about the way your life has to end either. So when you're having these experiences, it's really up to you to, to really determine the story that you're going to tell about it. Ooh, I love that. Can we talk a little bit more about how we can do that, how we can shift those stories? Because I think sometimes our brains can be really, really convincing. And I think oftentimes it's like a, a protection mechanism. Like our brains want to protect us and be like, oh, remember last time the stove was hot? Don't get near the stove. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we do need to do things differently. Back to our original point about neuroplasticity, if we want to think differently yeah. and function differently. So how can we start making those changes? Yeah. So I am big on really trying to suspend my own disbelief. So in a moment when I'm having an experience and my temptation is to get overwhelmed or my temptation is to start making assumptions, like I don't have to do that. I don't have to make other people's minds up. I don't have to assume outcomes 20 steps in the future. And this is interesting because there's like an intuitive piece of my practice. So I like, I actually do have yeah. sight. I can see yeah. things, but that doesn't mean anything necessarily. So I don't have to attach meanings to things before I'm presented with the opportunity to act. So what anxiety will do is it takes you out of the present and it puts you not here, <laughs> it takes you out of the present and you'll start assuming things have already been decided. Things have gone a certain way. And rather than do that, you really need to be able to assess where you are in the moment actually take a look at what's happening. I have these three questions that I use as a tool so that people can help themselves move forward. And I call them the TNM three, but the neurointuitive method three. But <laughs> number one is what is actually happening right now without any past stories, without anybody else's voice in my head, what is happening right now? Just in the most concrete sense, because I may be assuming I don't know, say I baked a cake and I <laughs> took it out of the oven too quickly and it falls, whatever. Now my day is ruined. The whole party is yeah. ruined. The cake You're is a ruined. You're baker. <laughs> you can't make things. Stupid. I'm a baker. Right. And it's like, <laughs> what's right. happening right, right now? You took the cake yep. out. It's okay. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Just don't catastrophize is really just like, look at what's happening in the moment. And that's, that's a thing that we each have to learn. And then from there I ask, okay, well, with what's happening right now, am I satisfied with what I'm seeing? Am I satisfied with what I'm thinking is the outcome? And the answer may be no. So I still need a cake for the party, right? So <laughs> I'm probably going to need to make another cake, but I'm not satisfied with what just happened with the cake. 
that's okay. I can acknowledge that without it becoming, you know, the end of the world for me. Then I get to move on to if I were willing to know and (laughs) if I were willing to know what to do next, what would that be to produce a more satisfactory outcome? And if you're already an overthinker, flip the question. Just be like, if I were willing to produce a more satisfactory outcome for myself, what would I need to know and do right now? Don't catastrophize. So that's one very conscious way you can start to shift. Personally, as somebody who's really fond of the parasympathetic nervous system, I like to do things that help with that. So meditation, breath work, hypnosis, those are all things that stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system, which really allow you to relax and heal and reprogram. So I advocate for any of those things to really help people start to rewire whatever it is they're trying to do. Love those questions and just how straightforward they are that we, anytime we're having a moment, can pause and ask ourselves those questions just as a check-in and just to kind of bring ourselves right back to where we are. Yeah. (laughs) Because again, the brain is not very smart. It's not as smart as we are as the whole people. So definitely. And it also seems like our brains really rely on patterns. That's something that I've noticed just in my own behavior a lot is it will try to repeat patterns, even if the patterns aren't ideal or have our ideal outcome, Mm -hmm. because that's what's familiar. That's what we want to repeat. Yes. Yeah. Ultimately, we have a drive towards safety. And before we get, and this has been a debate in psychology for ages, but before, in my opinion, before we can even get to pleasure, we really think about safety. Mm-hmm. So, and that, I think that makes sense. So we are organisms, our, our ideal existence is to continue existing. So we're trying to skew things towards safety and we feel safer when we know the outcome of a situation. We feel safer when things are routine and we can make things fit into this box of routine just through, again, our subconscious drive for this. We'll be eager to repeat a situation. We can get a whole new cast of characters. We can be in a different place. We can be doing something totally unrelated and we'll try to recreate what we know. So that's when it gets really important to start going deeper and really interrogate what is supporting those fixed patterns, those beliefs, those decisions that we make. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so, so helpful. You also, a a moment ago, talked about the parasympathetic nervous system. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Are there any signs that we, we may have if we are like tapping a little bit too deep into the sympathetic nervous system and we're a little activated? (laughs) How can we know when we may need to kind of balance, balance that feeling out? Well, I think the biggest tell is the breath. Go for the breath. You can look at bodily tension. So when you're in a situation that you're uncomfortable with, the tendency is, you know, stiffen up because you have to be braced for action. And that's that kind of, I need safety. So (laughs) I'm ready to go. I'm ready to freeze. I'm ready to say what I need to say. (laughs) But like, I'm ready. That's what your body is trying to do you may be responding to a threat that isn't there. So when you are feeling like your breath is getting a little bit out of control, whether you're hyperventilating or 
you're not breathing. That's another thing people do. Guilty. (laughs) (laughs) And you feel muscle tension. Those are good signs that it's time to really get back into that other mode. Um, If you feel like your thoughts are racing, it's a very good time to just intervene with the breath. And it's a good idea if you're a person who is prone to anxiety. You don't try to control the breath first. You just observe it and let it slow down. Pay attention to it because that's what it's trying to do. That's all your body is trying to get you to do when you're in those activated states. They want you to pay attention. So, yeah. <laughs> that is a really great tip that if you're feeling anxious, focus on observing the breath before trying to control it. Because I know I've definitely mm-hmm. been in situations where maybe I felt a little bit anxious and then I immediately try to jump into a very specific breath work pattern and it mm-hmm. doesn't feel helpful in no. that moment. It feels wor- I feel oh. even more constricted. And so starting with that observation, just to kind of get our arms around our breath mm-hmm. before maybe jumping yeah. into breath work is a great tip. Yes. Yeah. Because I mean, when you're in that mode, you already feel under attack. You feel like something's trying to hijack you. So when you then top down and you're just trying to like, I know I can do this, it doesn't always work. So being gentle with yourself and allowing yourself to pay attention to what the message is, because sometimes you are responding to a threat and that's valid too. Yeah. I'm not really a huge jewelry girl. I like jewelry, but I usually keep it pretty simple. Don't wear a ton of it. But one piece that you will never catch me without is my aura ring. And the aura ring is so much more than just a piece of jewelry. It's a beautiful ring that is actually an incredible wearable that tracks your sleep, your readiness level, shows how recovered you are, and tracks your daily activity. Aura has an incredible app that gives you real-time insights into how you're doing each day. So it'll tell you how well you slept and give you insights into how much time you spent in each stage. It'll tell you how how many steps you've gotten, how much activity you've gotten, how well recovered you are, and the insights are so helpful. Something else that I also really love using Aura for is actually tracking my menstrual cycle. So I use Natural Cycles to track my cycle. Normally with an app like Natural Cycles, you use your basal body temperature where you would manually take your temperature with a thermometer But Aura actually has a really incredible integration with Natural Cycles where your temperature data from Aura is automatically synced to Natural Cycles. So I'm able to see exactly where I am in my cycle every day of the month without having to manually track or do anything. Just from wearing my ring, all of the information is synced and it's also helped me really get in tune with my body, really get in tune with my cycle. And it helps me understand when I can maybe push a little harder, when I should ease up. And it's just been so, so helpful for my overall well-being. I would love if you checked out an incredible project that I worked on with Aura called All Hours where I got to tell my story about how Aura and incorporating more rest has really helped me as an entrepreneur. We created some really beautiful content, including a video and a post on their blog that you can check out at AuraRing.com slash balanced less. So again, to learn more about the Aura Ring, you can visit AuraRing.com slash balanced less. 
In today's episode, we're talking all about taking care of and rewiring our brains so we can feel our best. And research has shown that one way we can show our brains some love is by incorporating adaptogens into our diet, specifically the lion's mane mushroom. Preclinical studies suggest that lion's mane may help reduce inflammation and improve cognition. And I've been getting my lion's mane in with mud water. Mudwater is a coffee alternative with four adaptogenic mushrooms and Ayurvedic herbs that has way less caffeine than coffee. It has incredible ingredients, each serving its own purpose. So cacao and chai for a boost of energy, lion's mane, as I mentioned, to support your focus, cordyceps to support physical performance, chaga and reishi for immune support, and cinnamon for antioxidants. So in the morning, I like to blend my mud water with some hot water, a little monk fruit to sweeten, and then the mud water creamer, which has coconut milk and MCT powder, which is great for energy. Sometimes I'll add a little bit of almond milk to make it more like a latte. And it helps me feel focused and energized without the jitters or a crash later in the day, the way coffee would. I recommend grabbing a starter kit with your favorite blend. So you have everything you need to create a new ritual. To try it, go to mudwater, M-U-D-W-T-R.com slash balanced and use the code balanced to support the show and get 15% off. Again, that's mudwater.com, M-U-D-W-T-R.com slash balanced and use the code balanced for 15% off. It sounds like really understanding the difference between is there a threat that we need to respond to or are we responding to a threat that isn't there, which I think happens a lot, (laughs) speaking for myself, is really, really important to understand the distinction between those two things. Yeah. Not every problem is yours. Not everything you can respond to in the moment. So it may be something that is of concern and your job might be to notice it. You don't always have to act. I think it's really important to ask in those moments of activation, well, what is actually mine to do? Um, If I were to create a more satisfactory situation, what would I do? Yeah. (laughs) I think I am used to growing up, sometime we just learn to absorb people's emotions. Parents, the people we're around in school, teachers, authority figures, we start to absorb emotion. So, you know, if I see a lot of clients and it's like, if one of your parents was prone to anxiety, you might learn that's the strategy for you. You might learn that that is the strategy to respond to the world and it's stressors, right? Before you even get a chance to really establish your own kind of strategy, you kind of internalize that. So it's really important to know that maybe this isn't your problem. And Maybe it's not a problem. It's something to be responded to. Yeah. And that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Something else that came up for me as you were describing just those observations we make in childhood is that I often think as children, we can sometimes feel like our behavior dictates other people's emotions. We probably all have Mm -hmm. a moment where maybe we were being rambunctious or being little rascals and maybe an adult in our life got upset if we did something Mm -hmm. wrong or broke something or whatever. And also unlearning the difference between our behavior and other people's emotions and just the responsibility of that also sounds really important. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like to refer to that as kind of emotional sovereignty. And there's this concept again in like basic psychology talk that talks about your locus of control. It's like, okay, well, what can I actually if if I'm supposed to exert force on this situation, if I'm supposed to put action into the situation, what can I actually control? And you're right, as a kid, that's actually thinking that really starts to develop or it's supposed to. <laughs> as your prefrontal cortex really develops and strengthens, you start to be aware of your high-level thought processes and you know what's yours to do when it develops healthily. So being aware of your ability to impact others just through your actions is one thing, but you don't want to make it like you're the puppet master. And sometimes we do that through people pleasing too. It's not always malicious. We're just like, I just want them to be okay. I want them to be okay. I want them to like me, want this situation to feel calmer. And it's like, we really have to focus on staying in our alignment so that everybody else can get into theirs. So you regulating your nervous system in a moment where you're feeling panicked gives people room to do that too. And it's a really powerful model. That is what you can do for everybody else, but you need to see about you first. Definitely. And I appreciate that you used people pleasing as the example there, because I think that's something that a lot of us struggle with and it's quite the process to unlearn Mm -hmm. (laughs) like especially um as women because a lot of the socialization again when you're a kid is you want to be a good girl so break something and so and people get mad at you and it's like okay well i've got to and it's almost a reflexive tightening up (laughs) like you've got to be a good girl you've got to be presentable you've got to be kind gracious (laughs) like nothing that could cause trouble and you need to have a self-concept without that socialization. Mm, self-concept. Can we talk about self-concept? What do you mean by that? <laughs> what is what is self-concept and why is it important? Yeah, no, it's really important to just like learn who you are, figure out who you are. And I think when I'm asking that first question about what's happening in any situation, like what I've learned to do is really filter out everybody else's voice. And that takes some time, like to filter out everybody else's voice. Well, what's what's mine and what isn't? And I think hypnotherapy, my like that was <laughs> that was the brain explosion for me with hypnotherapy because I had gone to talk therapy for years, and then I had this session, and like I got separated out from a belief that I thought was mine that actually wasn't mine, and it was really dictating my life, mm-hmm. and that happened really rapidly. And it changed so much really quickly. I felt like I'd been duped. I was yeah. like, wait a minute. That's a huge realization. <laughs> yes. Like, wait a minute. I feel like I've been lied to. Right. I feel like something is going on here. I've been hoodwinked, bamboozled. Like, and then it makes but, you question other things. Because if it's like, well, if that belief wasn't mine, what other beliefs weren't mine? What else? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think once you start to get through that sorting work, but before even then, just knowing what your own body feels like at baseline, just knowing what your own body feels like when something is going right for you, I think that is a powerful way to be able to discern what belongs to you and what doesn't. And if you're open to the intuition piece, there does come a point where you start to, again, be able to listen to yourself and know that's not for me. 
and and things will surprise you because we have a lot of conditioning mm-hmm. from zero. We're just like sponges. We're just going around like, yeah, put it all in the tank. Doesn't have to make sense. Just goes in the tank. Um, and you may have, you know, contradictory beliefs all in there, but it goes in the tank. So you're like, okay, does that make sense? Probably not. But we don't have that at that age to be able to say, does that make sense or not? We might as a child, because our intuition is strong, we might say that doesn't feel like that feels icky or they might use words like, right. It's like, oh, my stomach hurts, things like that. Kids are very somatic (laughs) and they do have discernment. But again, it's hard to hold on to that throughout the years of of conditioning. So I think having a return to self and back to self-concept, having that return to self is really important for each and every adult because again, it's that getting into alignment so so everybody else can do their thing. Definitely. That's the most helpful thing I can do in the world. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. If everybody is moving within alignment, I mean, how powerful is that for the collective? That would be lovely, fantastic. (laughs) It's the best thing that you can do for for the world. That's that's good girl behavior, Mm -hmm. like real good girl behavior. Yeah, definitely. Speaking more about self-concept, you know, what if we do some of that reflection and we realize, okay, I see what my self-concept is and I'm not loving what I see. How can I improve my self-concept? That's real. So I think a lot of people get lost on the healing journey, quote unquote, because they believe themselves to be a problem or something to be fixed. Um, So I think starting from a place getting to a place of acceptance where, okay, I see this and you know what? I'm not a fan. Like you said, being able to say that without any heat behind it, like no self-loathing, no, I'm a terrible person for this, this, and that. It's like, okay, this is what I did. This is what I believe. This is what I learned. And I'm now willing to see things differently. Mm -hmm. I'm now willing to exist a little differently. That is like a powerful place to start from. And you can insert whatever new beliefs that you want. I would say hypnotherapy makes it easier. You can do things through practice and then it'll, it'll filter down. <laughs> it'll trickle down. It's like new habits. It's like, okay, I'm going to do this every day. You can do that. I think for some of the deeper beliefs, just being able to sit with yourself and, and access the subconscious, which is why meditation actually does work. Sometimes you do need someone, though, to pull you out of a particular thought loop because you can also meditate and keep the same beliefs. But yeah, <laughs> ADHD moment. Can't remember the question. But. <laughs> no, you absolutely answered it. It was, it was how can we improve our self-concept if, if we become aware of it and, and it doesn't feel in alignment? Yes. <laughs> that. Yes. So I'd love to talk a bit more about hypnotherapy because you are Mm -hmm. a hypnotherapist and it's just such Mm -hmm. an interesting medium. I personally have not participated in hypnotherapy, but I do think it's really interesting. Can we talk a little bit more, and you briefly touched on this, but I want to go a little deeper into it, the difference between hypnotherapy and talk therapy, how the two are different, maybe how they can potentially work together. Because I think for a lot of us, when we think of therapy, we think about talk therapy. Yes. So I talk about this a lot. I think for some people, you do need to go beyond talk therapy. Mm -hmm. They work very well together because you're learning new things in talk therapy. You have language now for some of the things that you know about yourself. Again, sometimes things are a little bit deeper, like 
I think we've each had those moments where we're acting out of accordance with a thing that we know to be true or a thing that we believe. So it's like hypnotherapy really goes in and helps you resolve those conflicts at a really inherently somatic level, because again, it's that PNS activation. So it's very easy to stay in your conscious mind with talk therapy because you're thinking and you're talking and you're applying logic to certain things. When sometimes you actually need to feel things and go a little deeper. Personally, I found hypnotherapy to be a good source of a breakthrough for me because again, I am very proudly ADHD. I figured out the ADHD. I was diagnosed, pardon, with the ADHD in my early 20s, which is a little ridiculous considering I was really done with school at that point. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. And you go back and you look at your experiences and you're like, oh yeah, that was, that was it. <laughs> that was there. So I'm a highly cerebral person. I, I'm also autistic. I'm a highly cerebral person. So I can think myself into anything and think myself out of anything. And if you're in talk therapy, you can really get a great cognitive understanding of why you're doing the things that you do and the patterns. And that's extremely helpful, especially having language. But sometimes you need to go deeper because you can stay up here and not make changes here. So again, with that parasympathetic nervous system, hypnotherapy is directly activating that. So yeah, I've I've had the experience of being in my therapist's office and, and masking, saying, okay, this is the logic. Like, I know exactly what I'm supposed to say. I know what I'm supposed to do. Like, not even trying to be manipulative, even though there is like a gold star thing that can happen yeah. in talk therapy. Right. But it happens a lot. Right. It happens a lot. But yeah, I know what the logic is. This makes sense because of this. But do I feel it? Might not be the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate you kind of breaking that down for us because I've had very similar experiences where I've done a decent amount of talk therapy in my life. And I'm like, well, it was nice to talk about that thing, but I don't feel like there's been a solution. There's not really a change in how I feel. It was nice to talk about it and get it out, but it still is in me. And just talking about it doesn't really solve for me, not saying that that's the case for Mm -hmm. everybody or for every situation. But it sounds like that pairing of talk therapy to understand kind of some of the experiences you've had and to put language to it and then hypnotherapy to really work through and process that information in your nervous system sounds like a great pairing. Yeah. And I often will work with people either after they've had talk therapy and they they reached a plateau or in concert with other talk ther- with talk therapists and trying to make sure that we're getting the learnings on all the levels. Yeah. <laughs> Encourage people to explore. Definitely. Yeah. And for some people, hypnotherapy or just hypnosis in general may sound scary. Like, does that mean I'm going to lose control of myself? What does that Mm -hmm. entail? Am I unconscious? Can you address maybe some of the common concerns around hypnosis for people who've never experienced it? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I can. I can. So people can get scared, especially there is something called show hypnotism, Mm -hmm. which is where people will, you know, do the, I'm, you're not going to cluck like a chicken and you're in a theater and all that. And people will confuse clinical hypnotherapy with that. 
and um, they're not the same thing. They they might they might operate on similar like brain mechanisms, but they're not necessarily the same thing. There's certain phenomenons in show hypnotism where it's really about um, social psychology. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a really <laughs> a really deep clinical experience, right. which is totally fine. And we're doing it for different reasons. Yes. So people will kind of affiliate that sort of, well, now I'm going to bark and now I'm going to cluck when really a, a clinical hypnotherapist is more like a trained guy to your subconscious. So they've seen enough of the human psyche to like understand where some of the common pitfalls are. And as you have not necessarily spent too much time intentionally in your subconscious, you probably need a tour guide. So we're just there as the tour guide to really help you and also help pull you out of some of those thought loops. Because we all know what it's like to be in an unfamiliar place and you may stand in a corner and get stuck. You, you may reach for what you know. You know, if you go somewhere and the map that you have is upside down, you're going to be really, really confused. So the, the clinical hypnotherapist is there really as a tour guide to your subconscious to help you get the results that you really want. Like, what is the destination that you really want to go to at the end of this? So it's like, I'm going to take you a certain way to get there. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds more like a guided experience to better understand yourself as opposed to some out of body, I have no control (laughs) of myself type of scenario. Yeah. And even when you're playing with time and other forms of hypnosis where you can you can mess around with time mm-hmm. because you you can, there are things that are way beyond the present for you that you need to address. So you will need to like essentially go back in time. Even when you're doing that, it's a way more grounding and grounded experience than being in a theater probably with a thousand people with the intent of sometimes it's entertainment, not saying that there aren't clinical hypnotherapists who do group, but you know, show hypnotism is for entertainment and that's totally fine. But (laughs) for you, your experience is supposed to be more grounded. Definitely. And in that, you talked about how hypnotherapy can kind of help guide us through our subconscious. I'd love to talk a little bit more about the conscious versus subconscious mind the differences between the two and why it's important to understand how they're different. Like why is our subconscious important? Yeah. So there is a belief and I adhere to it. that Most (laughs) of our conscious, that most of our decisions aren't actually conscious. Again, it goes back to that. Your brain is really smart. I mean, it's really dumb. We're smart. Your brain isn't. Yeah. So like a lot of your decisions aren't actually coming from conscious choice. It's not coming from like the high level of your brain. It is coming from, again, that past experience thing. So that's that kind of memory is more in your subconscious mind. So when you are used to responding in a certain way, you can consciously shift and decide and no one can no one can take away that autonomy but it is a lot easier to make decisions from a place of just instinct uh, what we believe is instinct your conscious mind is usually i <laughs> from what i observe is usually employed in putting logic on what you've already done mm. so 
I did that because this and this and this and this. Yeah, we're just were you in this and this and this before you made a decision mm-hmm. or so like it's kind of important to get those two incongruence so they're like you know your unconscious mind is there to really support your conscious aims along with your again your living processes so like your subconscious nervous like (laughs) your living processes so people are like okay can i be hypnotized and it's like well you're using language and you also probably sleep (laughs) you dream maybe or at least you you remember sometimes And you're also breathing. You're breathing at all times, usually without your conscious consent, right? So we make decisions mostly from that place, whether we realize it or not. When we stop to look, our brain will look for the logic in the decision. So if you can get your subconscious clear to the things that you want to believe consciously, it's very, very helpful in terms of conflict reduction and just acting like this, as opposed to I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that because I secretly don't believe I'm deserving of this. So I'm going to look for ways to destroy it. But (laughs) that's the thing that we do. Or I'm going to do this because I know this is how we've always done it. And it might be from your family. It might not even be you. It's like, this is how we've always done it. I just, now I know to do it. And I'm going to do it this way, even though your conscious mind knows that typically doesn't work. That hasn't worked out for grandma, didn't work out for grandpa. (laughs) Probably not going to work out for me if I do it in this exact way. So yeah, it's important to get those two on the same beat. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like that ability to kind of reprogram the subconscious, that is where the neuroplasticity comes in. That's where, you know, we would look to make those changes so that we can change our behaviors. Is that yeah. accurate? Yes, for sure. And like, if you notice, there's now increased emphasis on things like psychedelics and psychedelic therapy. So what you're doing with psychedelic therapy is you're stimulating different parts of your brain to create neuroplastic windows. Now, you have this ability innately without the introduction of substance, which may be helpful to you. But I, I definitely do encourage people to try other ways to access the conscious first. So you're trying to create these windows where you can make change. And it's like, you can open the window anytime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want you to know that you can open the window anytime. Yeah. yeah. What, are, <laughs> what are some ways that, that we can do that or that we can participate in that kind of brain rewiring without... Yeah. Or, or some of those practices. Yeah. So you want to take yourself into what I would call a learning state. So there are ways to induce that with your eyes. Like there's a little exercise that you can do where you stare at one point and you become aware of your periphery, like just from staring straight ahead at a fixed point. Right. And then you start to notice, oh, there's the left and then there's that right side. And you really start to reconnect the hemispheres of your brain. So that's one like super mechanical way that you can do it in about 30 seconds. You can also, again, go to that breath work, get yourself into a calmer state where your parasympathetic nervous system is activated. And that's where you can start to say, well, this is what you start to script really 
this is what I want to believe. This is what I, I really want to reinforce. And you can say it aloud to yourself. Just try to make as many pathways in your brain as possible. So learn in different ways. Open up that, <laughs> that subconscious part of you through, again, calming your body, letting them know that there's nothing to respond to and, and just inserting what you want at that point. And obviously, would be remiss if I didn't say hypnotherapy. Mm-hmm. You can try that. Beyond, before that, there's things like guided meditation. And that, again, will get your body in that calm place where it's more receptive and you can really insert what you want to know and what you want to believe. And yeah, I want people to know that there's so much that's innate. There are so many tools that are just with them at all times. And, you know, things like the breath, if we're, if we have sight, things like our eyes, like we are really able to tap into, oh, binaural beats. Mm, I love binaural beats. Yeah. Yeah. Just allowing your body to get in that more receptive state will really allow you to make better inroads. And again, learning things in different ways. So my method really incorporates different learning styles. So it's like some people are visual, some people aren't, like some people are auditory. So it's like you can make inroads in your brain easier if you already know what your learning style is, but it helps to reinforce on different different levels, different pathways, like just, I don't know, just play with your brain. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love what you shared there because a lot of it really revolves around slowing down around grounding and around being willing to do things differently, learn yeah. things in different ways, try new things, take new approaches. And that's just so, so good for us. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I mean, if you look at all the longitudinal studies on like aging, Mm -hmm. every time there's like a really great outcome, it usually has something to do with those basic principles. Okay, well, there were times I slowed down, I was socially connected. And what does social connection give us? It gives us different inputs, different like information, different perspectives, and, and just stimulation of different parts of our mind. So it's like, if we can do that consistently, and it doesn't have to look the same every day, and consistent doesn't have to mean every day. If we can make it like a practice of our, of our own, I'm going to learn a language. I'm going to read a book about something that I don't usually read. Like just trying to make inroads in your own mind is super beneficial and great for our health long term. Oh, totally. I mean, I think that relates back to what we've mentioned a few times just with our brains being like a little bit lazy. <laughs> 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 and finding ways to challenge them, which is honestly not that hard if we're used to doing the same things every day in the same mm-hmm. way, which a lot of us are. Yeah. I mean, taking a different route to, to a place you usually go, that will give you something. And b- making sure you're being observant. Yeah. Because there's also this point of connection back to that unconscious versus conscious mind stuff. There's like a point of connection where it's like there's only so much information that we can filter. Right. Right. So we may be trying something differently, but we have to really be open to noticing it. Yeah. And, and yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Finding ways to remain flexible in the mind. Yes. Yeah. Will never be of detriment to you. Right. Especially as we age. You know, that's something that I've been thinking about a lot is like how many anti aging conversations revolve around our skin. And listen, that's all 
well and good. I love a good skincare routine. I love a facial, Botox, whatever it is you want to do. But we don't talk nearly enough about anti-aging for the mind, which is, I would argue, the most important Mm -hmm. form of anti-aging there is. So important. So important. And, you know, I specialize in trauma, but I've actually, you know, I've spent a good chunk of my career in, in studying neurodegenerative disease. So it's like, it, it really does matter to protect you. And I mean, to be dark, but also to be very realistic, many of us had COVID. And at all ages, they have shown that it does affect the nervous system. And its intention as a pathogen is to get as many places as it can. So that means that normal function is disrupted. Right. So it's really important for us to care for our minds. It's really important for us to do our part. <laughs> it's going to be, it's a little bit harder considering that, you know, we have this constant input from our screens, from our, you know, just our tech, from our lifestyle. It can be a little bit harder, but we can also offset a lot of that with our intention and our practices. So, yeah. If you've had COVID, you may want to try some puzzles. Like, like yeah. really just be intentional about that. There's this mushroom called lion's mane. Love Not, lion's mane. Don't have a right, don't have a link for you. But <laughs> you know, there's this mushroom called lion's mane, and it actually promotes that sort of neuroplasticity. It stimulates us and it and it allows you to reverse some nerve damage. So if you've had COVID, talk to your doctor, obviously, but I would encourage you add a little bit of lion's mane to your to your day. Like get jiggy with it, start making changes, start facilitating those neuroplastic windows. And I'm sure, again, as we go more, as we do more research with psychedelic therapy, there'll probably also be some evidence of ways that we can help ourselves with this aging process and ways that we can help our mind stay mobile, flexible, active. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. Oh, that's so, so helpful. Are there any other things that we should know or just other practices, something that you wish that more people knew about taking care of our brains and and maybe some other simple things that we can do if we haven't covered them yet? Water. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We need water. And also your brain is going to eat up a lot of your calories. So it's important that we're really nourishing ourselves, especially with healthy fats giving ourselves protein too to just like get through the day and support all of our systems because our brain still has to function, but our brains can actually, because it's so vital in survival, it will continue to function as much as it can, like at its as much as it can with what little you give it. So it's important to make sure that it has enough because sometimes with brain function, you won't really notice until there's like a proper deficit even though your brain may be like working and working and working because it wants to support you. So please support your brain. (laughs) Definitely. That is so just great to point out because we think a lot about like the food we eat, the water we drink, just for basic staying hydrated or Mm -hmm. maybe having our body physically feel a certain way or look Mm -hmm. a certain way. But that reminder that we're also trying to fuel our brains as well is really important. Please feed your brains. Feed your brains. Give it those healthy fats. Omega three. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Don't be afraid to feed your brain. Mm -hmm. I promise. It will use it. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) So before we wrap up, I would also just love to talk more about your 
work. So you have a signature process called the neurointuitive method. Yes. Can you tell us more about what this method is, who it helps and how it works? Oh, yes. Um, question. <laughs> so the neurointuitive method was something that I developed because, you know, I have that background in neuropsych and I also have the training as a clinical hypnotherapist, but I'm also a very, and I'm not going to say, but, and I'm also a very intuitive person and very spiritual as well. So I am trained in in Reiki. I'm actually a Reiki master. Not that I say that, but like I don't. I that whole hierarchy like is weird to me. But anyway, um, I am very well versed in intuitive practice. Whether that's just basic intuition, divination methods, all of that, and I think all of those things can be employed to really be of service to people and their brain health and their ancestral memory mm-hmm. and trauma. So really how I started this whole thing is I was really fascinated by trauma because often trauma is best treated with a a method that incorporates somatic things um, on top of the conscious mind stuff because, again, it lives in your body. So people hear the body keeps the score, (laughs) but they don't understand what it means in real time. And often you may not be able to tell the full story of what's happened to you or what happened in your line. You may not even know the full story consciously. Families keep secrets. Families, if you're an individual and you're dealing with the trauma, a good response to trauma, not healthy, but a good response to trauma, aka effective, is not speaking about it. It's repression. So something terrible may have happened, or maybe maybe a series of terrible things. It could be related to some sort of ism, racism, sexism, classism, all of that. And the response may be to bury it. So you may have these entrenched feelings and beliefs that don't necessarily start with you, but are living with you. So we are always living in the wake of the past, we don't have to live at the mercy of the past. So it's really important to be able to um, reframe your own history for yourself so that you can determine where your future is and what your present is going to be. So TNM is my response to that alone isn't going to work. Yeah, (laughs) It was my response to seven years of talk therapy and being like, wait a minute, (laughs) my hypnotherapy. It was like, whoa, okay. And also just not being afraid to be intuitive because it's in our bodies, it's in our practices, it's in our tradition. And if we we're afraid of it, we can't really use that power to our benefit. Um, if we deny it, we can't really use that power to our benefit or honor the people who respected that power either. So all of that is really important in my practice, especially when you're talking about intergenerational trauma mm-hmm. living now. Absolutely, which we all experience in one way or another. Yeah, yeah. So who is it for? I mean, everyone, but I know I I really enjoy helping Black women clients because I think it's really, really critical for us. I think there's been generations of burden, (laughs) generations of anxiety, generations of just really, really hard work. And we deserve to have that acknowledged, but also we deserve to be cared for. So that's always been really important to my practice. And it's always been important to me. So, but it's for everyone. <laughs> it, it's for anybody with a parasympathetic nervous system. 
amazing. It's just all of us. <laughs> amazing. Thank you so much, Keely. And if people are interested in working with you, how can they do that? Yes. So I am at KeelyMiracle.com. You can also type in the neurointuitive.com. It'll take you to the same place. Um, I have some offerings for healing at home. So those are like topic-based hypnosis productions that I've created, like really did the divination and the scripting and the, well, what, what are the beliefs that you would need to support this kind of conflict? So there's things like love, there's things like procrastination, there's things like uh, money, just anything that really, them all. <laughs> anything that concerns you. And then one-on-one, I just reopened some new one-on-one and I've got an introductory service called the audit. You can always come to an, an open office hour with me and we can talk a little bit more if you have questions and we also do private consultations and Yeah. I can also do a mind mapping session with a custom hypnosis track for you. Incredible, (laughs) incredible, incredible offerings. We'll make sure that we link all of your information in the show notes so that folks can find you, work with you and check out your offerings. Keely, thank you so much. I feel so inspired to just take another look at my habits and how I'm responding to the world around me and to really get my mind on track. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. This is so helpful. (laughs) It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode and huge thanks to our guest Keely for joining me. I'm inspired to really get into my practices to help me take better care of my mind and reprogram my thoughts. Head to the show notes for more information about Kiwi and her offerings. She's been gracious enough to offer two free guided meditations that we have linked in our show notes, as well as her website where you can check out her offerings and work with her. I want to give a major shout out to our sponsors for today's episode, including Aura Ring, which has been an incredible tool in my self-care journey. I love my Aura Ring, as well as Mudwater, which is my favorite coffee alternative. Mudwater is also a really great source of lion's mane, which Keely and I talk about in this episode, talk about how good it is for our brains. So if you're looking for a way to get some lion's mane in your life, check out Mudwater and make sure you use our code linked in the show notes. So next week, I'm coming back with a solo episode talking about more of my personal mindset shifts that I've made, giving a personal life update, and I'm sharing what's next for Balanced Black Girl. So make sure that you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, and I'll see you next week.